0: Welcome back Sobertown. Todd Crafter with another recording from Sobertownpodcast.com, your one-stop resource for all things sobriety and recovery. Today is the first in a series of recordings covering how to deal with cravings. Now, If you'd like to reach me for any questions or comments, email me at soberaustralia at gmail.com. Let's do it. Just to begin sobertown I just need to explain that cravings they're going to occur far more frequently and far more intensely in the early days of sobriety. Now some of you listening to sobertown podcast are early on in your journey and some of you are quite a long way through um, a year two years more. So just to be sure from the start, These sections are aimed more so towards people early in the journey when cravings are far more prevalent. The purpose of these recordings are really to help the people most vulnerable and the people most needing strategies to overcome the cravings that are really, really prevalent early on. Now that's not to say that cravings don't exist later on. Sometimes, completely out of the blue, I'll have cravings and many of my friends along this journey with me will also report that. Now, they're, they're less frequent and our brain has changed its circuitry such that we, we won't be frequently provided with these, these stimulus to cause us to desire or crave alcohol. But that loop, it'll always be there in the back of our mind. So this may be relevant to any of you, no matter how far along the journey you are. But just suffice to say, this is aimed to primarily help as much as it can with, with the early days of sobriety when when cravings are really, really significant and when they can when they can really really lead to a slip very easily without the right strategies and tools in place. So by all means no matter where you are along your journey go ahead and listen to this and you may find useful information I hope but if you're early in your sobriety this is definitely directed to help you. When a craving for alcohol begins in your mind The sensation can be as powerful as though the floodgates of a giant dam are opening within your mind and millions of litres of water are rushing out and sweeping you up in the flow pushing you in one direction and that direction is toward the thought and then action of drinking you want to resist you try to resist and you hang on as the current forces you backwards sometimes the force is so strong You just can't persist with the battle, sometimes you fold. Without question, this can be difficult to fight and without pre-planning, it may beat your willpower alone. This is where we learn methods to throw a wrench in the gears as they clunk along opening the floodgates, set in motion by a sensation and thought of alcohol cravings, and we prevent the oncoming and powerful tsunami from ever happening. Sometimes the answer in the early days of sobriety is to do whatever it takes. In short, the whole basis for my strategies are essentially distraction from cravings through activity, movement, stimulus and action. Whatever it takes. Pushing through one craving successfully can literally mean the difference between a slip that would turn to another two years of hard drinking or broken relationships or severe disease. One craving battled and beaten can literally transform your life from what could have been into who you want to be. It can save you. So whatever it takes to beat that craving, whatever it takes. Cravings tap into a distinct pathway in the brain. This is located in our reward system. Separate to our hunger centers, which originate in the hypothalamus. Craving centers are different, located in the center of our brain throughout multiple brain regions, such as the nucleus accumbens, which includes a shell and a core and a location on each side of the brain hemispheres centrally. The nucleus accumbens is just one part of the reward system which will process and reinforce stimuli such as food and water and then will reward stimuli such as drugs, sex and exercise. The prefrontal cortex, now this region is key, this region is so vital, located at the front section of the frontal lobe, right there behind your forehead, the prefrontal cortex is considered to be responsible for the orchestration of thoughts and actions in accordance with our internal goals this region is involved with quote executive functions such as planning decision making short-term memory personality expression moderating social behavior and controlling certain aspects of speech and language executive function relates to abilities to differentiate among conflicting thoughts, determined good and bad, better and best, same and different, future comp- consequences of current activities, working toward a defined goal. Prediction of outcomes, expectation based on actions, and social control, the ability to suppress urges that, if not suppressed, could lead to socially unacceptable outcomes. The frontal cortex supports concrete rule learning. More anterior regions along the rostrocordal axis of frontal cortex support rule learning at higher levels of abstraction. If the prefrontal cortex were a muscle, I would tell you to strain it and work it every single day to build its resilience, strength and function as often as possible. During rewarding activities, These regions and others act by releasing the neurotransmitter dopamine which is associated with pleasure. And so this experience is then connected to areas responsible for memory and behaviour. So once you finish your tasty treat, sex or alcohol, this is then consolidated through pathways in the brain with a strong link between pleasure through dopamine release and then linked to memory and behaviour. The net result is the building of pathways causing cravings, an intense desire for something such as alcohol. The more we feed this pathway, the more deeply ingrained the response to the pleasurable behaviour becomes. The more deeply ingrained the memory becomes and the more your brain will scream at you to go back to engage in this behaviour be it for bad food, be it for alcohol. This is ingrained in your brain. Go back and listen to my recording. If it fires together, it wires together. This means when you deprive yourself of your trained habit, alcohol, your brain will tell you you need it. This is only a neurological circuit causing this craving, but it can feel very strong. This is what you are up against and this is what this series of articles aims to help you overcome. Overcoming these desires is the key to a better life my friends. This is the price of admission to overcome, to battle, to beat your brain and to change your pathways. Differently to hunger, which will not simply pass in time if we do not provide ourselves with food to satiate that hunger, cravings do go away with the passage of time. Let me repeat this because this is key information. Cravings do go away with the passage of time. Unlike hunger, cravings are psychological, not physiological. That doesn't make them any less real to us. But the fact is, they will pass. Due to the fact that craving is psychological experience, they can be triggered by many experiences or feelings or states of being. These may be specific to you, for example. If you associate a location, a person or an event with drinking alcohol, then these will likely induce cravings in your mind, whereas some causes are quite common to most people such as being tired or fatigued, stressed, bored, lonely and interestingly often excitement is also a common trigger for alcohol cravings, among several other causes. When we would drink alcohol, just like eating food packed with sugar, salt or fat, we teach our brain that these make us feel better as dopamine and the reward pathways are utilized. And if we do not learn how to process the emotions and experiences associated with life without drinking, then we set ourselves up for failure. But to begin with, in early sobriety, the goal is simple, beat the cravings, one craving at a time until we begin to reteach our brain that we no longer require alcohol to feed this dopamine gobbling part of us and that we can very well create these positive effects in a healthy and sustainable way. We may not be able to always be in control of the environment we find ourselves in, this is true, but what we can do is control how we react in the very same environments which may have previously caused us to crave hard. Cravings will pass, and they are neurological and psychological, but be aware the cessation of alcohol will cause very real physiological effects in our body, and so if levels of consumption had been very high, and it's not for me to define very high, it's for a medical professional, then you need to have medical oversight when you quit, just as a note. Next, to introduce you to a concept. The concept is called the gate Control Theory. This theory is key to us who work in any area of pain management, as I do. In fact, most of my days involve helping people with pain management, and so the biology of pain is something I understand very well, and as such, my own methods of dealing with cravings have sprung from my knowledge of and methods in helping people with shutting down pain. The gate control theory was never meant to translate to controlling cravings for alcohol but to me it translates well in a very modified fashion anyway. First a quick explanation of the gate control theory. When you hurt yourself for example a knock on the head what's the first thing you do instinctively? Think about this. What do you do when you hurt something by knocking it. You grab the area, right? You rub it. Sure, you might swear or yell, but physically you generally rub the area that you bumped or hurt. Recall a time you stubbed your toe. You smash it into a table leg and await the slow pain build up. You know it's coming and it builds rapidly. You reach down and grab your foot and toe and squeeze it or you rub it or you shake it. You don't just stay still. So let's look at another stimulus. For example, if you get bitten by a mosquito, the sensation of itch compels you to scratch it. Same concept, but did you ever ask yourself why? Why would you scratch the itch? Why would you rub the bump? Seems silly to ask, right? But it's not. There is a reason you instinctively attack the area of pain or itch with pressure or with scratching or rubbing. There's a reason you do this and you probably don't even realize it. To understand why you rub the area you bumped, I need to explain the gate control theory. Because this underpins my strategies for dealing with cravings. As with most of my strategies, I like to bring things back to neurological concepts and adapt them. So the gait control theory, in a nutshell, states that non-painful stimulus essentially closes a gate to other neurological input such as pain from being transmitted up the spinal cord and to the brain. So essentially you hurt, you rub, pressure input overrides pain input, which then leads to less pain perceived by the brain. So the idea is to block one unwanted experience by overriding it with another input because the neurological structures are governed at the level of the spinal cord by an interneuron which can downgrade a stimulus such as pain to allow only the transmission of the other stimulus, the pressure of the rubbing. When I quit alcohol, my method of dealing with cravings was to employ a variety of overriding stimulus to my body and mind before the sensation and feeling was able to turn to thought and action. Once the craving has forced past sensation to perception, to feeling, it can be very difficult to prevent action unless an overriding stimulus is interjected to stop that process from playing out the well ingrained habit loop in your mind. So as a final explanation of the gate control theory, I think of it in terms of old grannies. Let's use grannies. So two grannies are in the store, they both want prune juice, granny in the blue cardigan is looking into the distance at the refrigerated section and there's only one prune juice left on the shelf. Then granny in the yellow cardigan spies the same single bottle of prune juice on the shelf at the same time. They see each other, granny blue looks right and can see granny yellow gearing up to hit the throttle and grab that last bottle of prune juice. The yellow granny looks left and can see the same of granny blue, and so now it's on. Off they go at a snail's pace, left foot, right foot, trying to be the one who gets to the prune juice first. Maximum heart rates of 90 beats per minute and a smashing snail's pace they go. They clash trolleys, they shake fists, blue granny pulls ahead by a nose, but oh no, Right at the shelf, when Granny Blue reaches for the juice, a friend steps in front of her. Hello Janice, her friend says, and the path is blocked by the friend. Granny Yellow catches up and snatches the last bottle of prune juice from the shelf, much to Granny Blue's dismay. Only one of them can win today. Today it was Granny in the yellow cardigan. So in the story, Granny Blue was the craving or the pain or the bump, whereas Granny Yellow was the pressure rubbing the sore spot, or the overriding stimulus to override the craving. Both were heading along the same pathway with the same destination, and then Granny's Blue's friend, who stopped her from taking the juice, was an interneuron in the spinal cord which blocks the pain stimulus from passing into the spinal cord and up to the brain. So, in a wildly simplified form, the gate control theory is just saying that one stimulus can block another neurologically. This is the primary concept I use in every single method of dealing with cravings when they come around. Is dealing with cravings exactly the same as the gate control theory? No, the gate control theory relates to physical stimulus and blocking it from entering the brain at the spinal cord. But the theory is how I can best describe the goal of dealing with cravings. That is, distraction, replacement, action, and overriding stimulus. Kill the cravings through activity, movement, overriding thoughts and actions to replace the habit. To me, dealing with cravings is about getting the fuck up, getting the fuck on, getting the fuck out, and getting the fuck through the craving most reports show that cravings for an addictive substance reduce or completely pass after around 20 minutes 20 minutes keep this front of your mind you can endure all sorts of hardships for 20 minutes cold water hard exercise hot weather annoying people pain so many hard things can be sustained for 20 minutes or longer And cravings can feel like the most difficult of tasks at times, especially while the neurological circuitry is so strong within your mind early on. However, you can endure them and they will pass. I repeat this, they will pass. So this leads me to a commonly slung concept today. Sit in it. Sit in it. Sit with your feelings. Just sit with them. Sit with it, sit, sit, sit dog sit. At the risk of infuriating some people, do not sit with cravings when you have an addiction. This is a misunderstood as a concept. It applies well when applied at the right time. But here is the concept explained. When we expose ourselves to unwanted feelings, such as sadness or anger or any undesirable emotions, we can indeed acclimatize our mind to feel more at ease with these emotions. This is very positive growth, and this is absolutely effective. In allowing the unwanted emotions to wash over us and accepting them, even speaking to them, we will generally become more able to deal with these emotions or to accept that they are okay, that they are part of our life, and there is nothing wrong with that. This is a positive example of how sitting with feelings is a very valid and productive thing to do. When you first quit alcohol, you have one goal, to not drink alcohol. And so it's not the time to retrain the ability to sit with cravings. This will come later. When you first quit alcohol, your goal is not to just sit with cravings. Don't sit with anything, get up, get out, get going, get moving, get distracting, and override those cravings. This is craving survival, not emotional retraining. And these are two different things during early sobriety. Sobriety is a wonderful thing. It's longer term goal truly is growth An improvement which includes retraining oneself to feel okay with unwanted feelings but this is not this is long-term sobriety not early sobriety think of it this way you fall down and break your arm you go to a physiotherapist requesting they help you within hours of breaking that arm before you even seek medical attention Rightly, the physical therapist is going to tell you to go to the hospital and get it cast, then wait 6-8 to weeks, then return for rehab when the cast is off and the bone is adequately healed to being joint and tissue rehabilitated. Trying to just sit and be comfortable with your cravings during early sobriety is kind of the same as breaking your arm and trying to jump straight to strengthening the limb with a broken bone, instead of having it cast and letting it heal. It's not a safe or reasonable idea when you first start your sober journey. When you first quit alcohol, you should treat it as though you have an acute injury, like a broken bone or a huge gash, because either way, Your body and mind will be going into shock and going into battle. You need first aid, not long-term physical rehab. Likewise in addiction, you need methods to battle cravings, not attempts to sit and learn how to be comfortable with them. Not yet. You are at war in your mind, and so you need to act accordingly. The sitting and learning, yes. That will absolutely come, but not yet. So to review, how does all of that relate to craving? Distraction. Overriding one stimulus, that is cravings, with another stimulus. The more intense the alternative stimulus is, the better. So there's cravings. The lead up is sensation, perception, feeling thought, and then action. Sensation, perception, feeling, thought, and action. It goes sensation, perception, feeling, stop. Stop it there. Before thought, stop. Control the action. Sensation, perception, feeling, stop. Override. So let's say that you're early on in your alcohol-free journey. Let's say it's two weeks or less. You think things are looking good, you're getting through, and this life is becoming at least partly normal. 5 p.m. comes around, the witching hour, the hour you were likely in the past to start splashing the poison around. The craving begins. The voice calls you. The magnet pulls you. You suddenly want it, you need it, the pull is so strong. Here is where you stop and override that craving. This is where you override that fucker. Sensation, perception, stop. So how? As with most things, there are many methods and no one will be perfect every time. But having a method for different situations is vital, and knowing the most effective methods for yourself will be helpful so that the primary fallback method is well known and as are its effects. So, Sobertown, today's recording was the introduction to cravings. My goal from this recording was just to explain a little about cravings and my concepts as to how how we act to override and to stop the craving process. Again, this primarily applies to the early days of sobriety. These can be employed later, but the most prolific cravings will occur in the first days, weeks, perhaps months after quitting alcohol. Now in the coming days and weeks, I'll be producing more recordings which follow on from this introduction, which are going to detail actual strategies for overriding cravings. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, Sober Town. I'll catch you later.